Everything is fine. This is the Frogs of War podcast live from Dutch's Locker Room. I am Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa Trebowasser. We are here tonight on the Wednesday evening of the first TCU game week of the season. So exciting. It's been a Football's long offseason. Football's finally season. back. Football actually has been back for a couple of days now. Colorado those Rainbow Warriors? Colorado State got absolutely drilled by Hawaii last weekend, as we all care. Reminiscing about the old Mountain West. It's good. It's good. But we have a game. We do, To finally. talk about this week. We have a game. TCU obviously plays the Southern Jaguars from somewhere in Louisiana. Uh, yeah, Baton I would have known that. Baton Baton Rouge? I think they're Baton Rouge. Jaguar. Just singular Jaguar. Jaguar. If there's just one, I feel pretty good about the I game. Feel, if, if it's 11 on one, yeah. both sides of the ball. This I don't is, know. If this it's is a not real, the 12-man Ohio State defense. But if it's a real Jaguar, though. I'd still give the edge to the Frogs, but it would be a little bit closer. Yeah, this is true. So, TCU plays Southern this week. We are live at Dutch's Locker Room. Just a little promo for Dutch's Locker Room. It is the new addition to Dutch's, everybody's favorite burger place close to TCU. Uh, and the locker room has a little bit of an extended hours thing going on. They're open till midnight, even though Dutch's closes at 9. They've got a full bar. There's a drink named after us, Melissa, the Froggy War. It's a blueberry vodka and Red Bull drink. It's pretty delicious. So if you want to get that, I see someone who's already making her husband go order it for her, so that's nice. I also believe they are open at 9 a.m. on Saturday, so you can they come do. over here, get something to eat, something to drink before you head on over to watch TCU. Absolutely. So this is a great place to come, watch all of the other games that are going on, uh, and still get, to the st- still get to the stadium in time to watch TCU just whip up on Southern. So let's start by talking a little bit about the Southern Jaguars. You ready for this? I'm ready for this. TCU's first opponent. So... Southern is replacing quite a bit this year, Melissa, especially on offense. They are having to replace a starting quarterback in Austin Howard, who uh, didn't have the most incredible quarterback numbers last year, but this is more of a run-first uh, run offense. But Austin Howard still threw for 2,000 yards and 18 touchdowns in 2017. And leading rusher Herbert Edwards carried the ball at 5.6 yards per carry. He ran, ran for almost 1,000 yards and like six or seven touchdowns last year. They're having to replace their starting quarterback, Starting running back. Uh, and it was announced earlier this week that John Lampley will be uh, starting for the Jaguars on Saturday. He's a 6'2 sophomore out of Georgia. Uh, played a little bit last year. Played in seven games. Threw for about 100 yards. Ran for about 100 yards. Uh, seems to be a dual threat guy, which is good for TCU to get a preview of a dual threat guy right out of the gate simply because they're going to face a couple dual threat powers early on in the season. Uh, you talk about uh, the guy who I'm blanking on now at Ohio State. Uh, Haskins. Right? Haskins, yes. Um, you've got a couple other quarterbacks in the Big 12 that are dual threat. And so you're really getting a good preview right out of the gate for TCU's defense of how they're going to respond to a quarterback that can run a little bit. And, of course, you know TCU's defense has been, for the entirety of fall practice, working against dual threat quarterbacks, both in Sean Robinson and Michael Collins. And Michael so. Collins runs better than you think. Something Gary Patterson has to say every single time he takes the mic. Apparently so. Apparently that's why it was such a close competition early on in the fall uh, for that starting quarterback position for TCU. So you've got this offense for, for the Jaguars that is really kind of run first base. They've got uh, a couple of running backs that are going to step in and look to replace that production from Edwards a year ago. Devon Ben is kind of the primary guy that you would expect to carry the load. He ran for almost 500 yards last year. He ran for four touchdowns a season ago. And they also added a transfer in Jordan Davis. 
He's a big guy. He's like six foot tall, 200 pounds out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. He went to Broken Arrow High School, uh, which is a big, big high school up in Oklahoma, up in Tulsa. Uh, so they've got some running power. Um, and they've got a transfer from Minnesota, a 6'5 wide receiver named Hunter Register, who's looking to uh, finally break into a starting lineup. He only had one catch in his career at Minnesota, but he's a big target at 6'5". We saw some of how TCU responded to big wide receivers last year, especially against Iowa State and Stanford. The corners kind of got picked on a little bit last year. Yeah, and I think one of the things that Gary Patterson worked really hard on this offseason was getting a bigger secondary. Uh, yeah. they, they moved a couple of guys around, partially due to injuries, but also partially to, to increase the height of the guys on the back end. I think another thing that's worth noting, too, is that Gary Patterson gave Southern a very high compliment in comparing them to South Dakota, who we opened the season with a couple of years ago and was a really, really close game South, up until... South Dakota State. South Dakota State, up yeah. until the very end. Uh, he said that they're an athletic team, they're a big team, they've got some size on the outside, and so... Um, Patterson said very much that this is not a game they're taking lightly. It's not a game his players are taking lightly, and and they're prepared for an athletic team that's going to come in and battle. Yeah, absolutely. And defensively, you know, uh, they also have to replace – Southern has to replace four starters on defense, and they're all key guys. It's their leading tackler from a year ago, linebacker Contavious Preston, is is gone. Uh, Second leading tackler Danny Johnson from the secondary is gone who also led the team with three interceptions and had 12 pass breakups in 2017. Aaron Tiller, their big defensive end, who had 10.5 sacks last year and 18 tackles for loss is gone. No other player last year on Southern had more than two sacks. So he's a big loss. Uh, and they also lost another, another uh, corner out of that secondary who was a, a senior cornerback and leader on their team. So really, I mean, this was already going to be a lopsided matchup. Southern's losing a lot on both sides of the ball. Uh, but like Harry Patterson said in his press conference on Tuesday, he's not looking ahead to anybody else. He's focusing on Southern. You were there, Melissa. Do you want to talk a little bit about what Patterson had to say about Southern? Yeah, you know, um, you know, like I mentioned, he, he compared him to South Dakota State, another big athletic team, and, and very much said that, you know, while this is a game that, yes, they expect to win, they need to win, that, that they have plenty of questions to answer on their own. And, the, you know, the thing that Patterson said, it's so coach cliche, but it's so true, is that what TCU needs to do is play TCU football. Yeah. They do not need to worry about the opponent because they have such a tight turnaround between that 11 a.m. Southern kickoff and that Friday night at SMU that he's focused on getting a lot of guys in, getting a lot of guys reps. They have not practiced live almost any camp with their starting running backs. These running backs have been in green shirts and red shirts the entire offseason. They've been banged up, dinged up. Uh, they haven't had a chance to run in, in live game action, and so he needs to see some of his guys get hit. He needs to see uh, some of this offensive line block in front of a running back that's going to be a starter. Um, it, it's time for his team to play their brand of football and not to worry about who the opponent is. There's going to be plenty of big games on the schedule in September, plenty of opportunities to, to really be challenged. But Southern to them is, is just that. It's getting those early season jitters out of the way. It's playing a live football game. It's going out and proving that they can do what they need to do on both offense and defense in order to execute their game plan and get wins. Because if they can do that against Southern, then the next step is doing that against SMU, and then it all is going to come to head against um, Ohio State and Texas in back-to-back weeks. Yeah, this is a really nice kind of schedule set up for the Frogs to have two, two full weeks to get into the routine of practicing, preparing mentally for a game, and then going out and facing an opponent before Ohio State. Normally you see marquee matchups in week one or at the latest in week two if it's a non-conference matchup. But the Frogs are fortunate, I think, with such a young bunch 
uh, and with so many new guys kind of stepping into starting roles, to have those two weeks to really get some guys uh, good game experience. I think it was it was kind of funny too, but but also interesting how much of a maniac Peter, Peter, uh, Patterson is in season. Yeah. You know, he's, he blamed himself for the 11 a.m. kickoff and saying that that was his choice because he's so worried about playing on a Friday night as opposed to a Saturday morning or afternoon that he wanted to get his team off the field as soon as possible and start getting ready for SMU. Yeah. I mean, he's he's locked in and ready. <laughs> I mean, that's – and, you know, that's – realistically, I mean, it's Southern, so the turnout – even and this is a frustrating thing about TCU fans, I think, is that regardless of – time of day a southern opponent isn't gonna draw a full stadium even though it's the first we have people selling out other people already in duchess tonight saying they're not going to the game on saturday it's fine it's him right there that guy not going but anyways it is uh, it is an unfortunate thing about tcu's fan base that uh, the the fact that the opponent is southern is going to keep people away from the game rather than people going to the game because it's their first opportunity to see TCU football play this year. Uh, and so I really don't think that an 11 a.m. start versus a 7 p.m. Sure. start yeah. is, a big, is, is a big deal this time around. And if, if you think that the, the extra six hours of rest and recovery is going to help you when you're matching up on Friday, then do what you need to take do, it. Absolutely take it. It also is Davey O'Brien Day. It's Davey Day over yes. at TCU. Um, something that Patterson had another great line where he talked about uh-huh. that if TCU loses to Southern, nobody will care about the fact that it was Davey Day and then kind of joke that, sure, if we lose, I'm sure all you guys will mention was Davey O'Brien. So, um, But that should be a lot of fun festivities. They have some great things planned. Uh, the TCU, you know, video marketing production team, as always, has been outstanding with the stuff they've been doing this offseason. And I'm sure they'll have some really, really neat tributes uh, for Davey O'Brien on Saturday afternoon. Obviously, it's the opener for TCU. If you can be at the stadium, be at the stadium. I'm sure you'll be able to get tickets inexpensively. Um, but it's just a really good opportunity to, to meet a lot of these new players. I mean, there are a ton of names on the 2D that the average TCU fan has never heard. And so guys like Garrett Wallow, uh, guys like Noah Daniels, um, you know, there are a lot of players on the defensive side of the ball that, that it's time to start getting to know, and you're going to see a lot of them play a Saturday afternoon. You're absolutely right. Let's uh, move into uh, the depth chart a little bit here. We've got um, some interesting, uh, interesting things happening on the depth chart that was released over the weekend uh, in, in preparation for this first game, and you wrote an, a nice long article about it, but there's some... Uh, Interesting decisions, I guess, that this coaching staff made regarding who is starting at what position. Uh, So let's talk about the offensive line. Let's start there. Uh, We already knew that Kelton Hollins was going to start at center. We knew that uh, Cordell was going to start at left guard. We knew that Lucas Nyang was going to start at right tackle. Those three positions were set. Right guard and left tackle were up in the air um, until the depth chart came out. And Austin Myers won that starting job over JUCO transfer Anthony McKinney, who everybody kind of just expected to step right in and be the guy at left tackle. Austin Myers, though, is uh, a really high-quality player. He's been around for a while. He understands the offense, uh, and he is incredibly talented. And so now he showed out in the fall and won the starting job. Patterson said that McKinney would also play in this game. Uh, But what do you think about Austin Myers winning that job over Anthony McKinney? I think a lot of people forget how much fanfare there was when Austin Meyer signed with TCU. Yeah. I mean, they, that was a huge recruiting battle for him. He's a, he's a big dude at 6'5", 303. He's, he's a technically skilled player. And like you said, he's been in the Division One program now for 
uh, two, three years and had an opportunity to really understand not just how to play Division One football, but how to play TCU-style of Division One football. And under the tutelage of Chris Thompson, I'm sure that he's more comfortable with the guy that he's known a couple of years. Uh, you know, Patterson has said time and time again that McKinney has come a really, really long way. But it's pretty obvious from his comments that he wasn't quite where they wanted him to be for the opener. And so I still ex- expect to see a lot of Anthony McKinney. Um, and I think you'll see a lot of Austin Myers as well. But it looks like uh, Myers will be the first guy out of the shoot. And from there, it's going to be a battle to see who's, who's really manning that position by the time the games really start to count. Absolutely. Uh, I agree because this is one of those positions where they're going to have to work this out. And if, it's, if Myers isn't the guy, then it's got to be McKinney. Yeah. And they've got a couple weeks, like you said, to really get that figured out. Also, though, at right guard, Trey Elliott won the job over Chris Gaynor. Yeah. Elliott is a fifth-year senior has been banged up for the last couple of seasons. He played really well as a redshirt freshman, and people kind of saw him as that next awesome interior lineman for TCU, but injuries kept him dinged up. He missed seven games as a sophomore. He missed six games uh, or seven or eight games as a junior, Uh, and so he's been banged up for the last three years. And now he's finally consistently healthy and has a chance to to show out a little bit. Yeah, he, you know, he was. Um, it was him and Ben Banigou that we had a chance to talk to on Tuesday afternoon at, at the the media opener. Um, you know, he seems like he's a very measured guy. Doesn't get too high, too low. Uh, spoke very highly of Coach Thompson and, and the impact that he's had on him as a as an offensive lineman. Uh, the, the chemistry that these guys have together. One of the things I asked him about was, you know, though they're a very inexperienced group when it comes to how many starts they have. There are a bunch of guys that have been in this program for a really long time. And, and you know, it's kind of what Patterson said ahead of last season. The, the, the plus was he had a lot of guys coming back to the football team. The minus was he has a lot of guys coming back from a six and seven football team. It's kind of the same thing. You have a lot of guys that have been in the program and never had a chance to start. So is that the, the guys ahead of them have been so much better? Well, well, sure, yeah. I mean, four of those guys are in camp. Two of them are going to be either starters or rotational players for NFL teams. Those are good players. But it's also that these guys have been around for four and five years, and, and they haven't been able to beat anybody out. So is it just their time to shine, or do we need to still have concerns? Everything Patterson has said, everything the running backs have said, everything the defensive players have said is, no, no, this is their time to shine. There is a ton of confidence in this group. I do not think we'll see them at their best Saturday. We probably won't see them at their best the next Friday. But the hope is by the time they face one of the best defensive lines in college football in Ohio State in Week 3, that they have gelled and come together and, and, and worked into a unit that can be really, really effective. You're right. Uh, you're absolutely right. And I, I'm, for one, I'm really excited to see Trey Elliott finally get that starting spot, finally be able to be the guy at yeah. right guard because, you know, if he is healthy consistently, uh, he was another kid just like Austin Myers yeah. who people were really excited about when he signed with TCU yeah. and he's just been beaten up for his entire football career. So if he comes in and does what people are expecting him to do on that offensive mm-hmm. line, you know, this is this is all shaping up to be exactly like what Cordell Wagwu said uh, when he was available to the media a couple of weeks ago, right before fall camp started. He's like, you know, we've all been playing together as an offensive line for three years. It's just we were all playing together as the twos, and now we're all yeah. coming up to the ones together. So the fact that they've had that experience playing against each other, even just in practice, I think uh, does a whole lot for chemistry along the offensive line. And as we know, like if a team is clicking or if a line is clicking well together. Uh, then they can do a lot. They can do a lot as a unit. And so, well, uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm yeah. really excited about and it. And I think another thing, too, that, that it's worth factoring in is just how great of a leader Kelton Hollins is. Yeah. Like, you know, Patrick um, Morris was an exceptional center, uh-huh. was a great player, and was an exceptional leader. 
And I think that Kelton Hollins took a lot of that leadership ability and absorbed it last year and has really taken that upon himself. He is the voice of that offensive line. It's a humble group of guys. It's a group of older players that, you know, they're not kind of, they're not afraid of the limelight and they're not seeking out personal attention. Kelton Hollins has really set the tone for that unit, both on the field, but I think more importantly in the locker room. Yeah. And, and this is a, a group that's really tight, that really trusts each other, that gets along really, really well. They may not be the most talented unit, but I have no doubt that they're going to play exceptionally well together and they will be stronger by virtue of the five of them than any one of them will star on their own. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just excited. I'm excited oh, that so our offensive line is finally going to get out there and hit somebody. Yeah. I'm uh, also really excited about this burger. It's delicious. Yeah, you're so if you've never had a Dutch's burger, free plug, you should get one. They're delicious. Another starter uh, that we've discovered on the, on the defensive line that we kind of assumed was going to happen in the absence of Ross Blacklock. He's a guy that's been talked about a lot since Blacklock got hurt. Uh, redshirt freshman Terrell Cooper slides into that other starting defensive tackle position, but Patterson said on Tuesday during his presser that it's really going to be a five-guy rotation on the defensive line, uh, especially at the tackle position this year. You know, you've got George Ellis, you've got Joe Brodnax, uh, and you've got Michael Eppley who's sliding inside now. Um, there's potential maybe for LJ Collier to slide in there. He's another bigger body as well. So you've got some, some depth there at the defensive tackle spot. Uh, but Terrell Cooper seems to be the guy that's going to get the first shot to uh, quote-unquote replace Ross Blacklock. It's definitely going to be a defensive line by committee this year. And like you said, Terrell Cooper is going to be the first guy out of the shoot. But you've got, like you said, all of those other players. Also, Brandon Bowen has moved inside. Yeah. Um, the thing that has really stood out to me is that, you know, Patterson has said that every single one of those players has been incredibly flexible in what they've been asked to do. And so whether that's going inside, whether it's playing on the end, where it's sliding, you know, back and forth from linebacker, those guys are, are definitely have the mindset of, you know, we lost a great player. We all need to step up our game. And if that means playing out of position, playing in maybe not our best position, then that's what we're going to do for the benefit of the team. And yeah. so, um, you know, like you said a couple of weeks ago, you're not going to replace Ross Blacklock with one player. Mm-mm. But what you are going to do is you're going to have two or three guys taking two or three snaps at a time, and you're going to have fresher legs. And so while none of those players together can equal a Ross Blacklock, you hope that the, fr- the freshness advantage that they gain from rotating so much can make up maybe 85% of what he's capable of doing. And the talent is there. It's just a lack of experience that could do them in early, especially when you start playing a running back, um, you know, up at, at uh, Ohio State. Now, I'm going to forget the name of the superstar running back that they have who is a Texas kid. Oh, uh, hang on a second. Ohio State. Roster. We're not We're not talking about Ohio State either. That's the problem is because yeah. Coach Patterson told us not to. I'm so focused on Southern, y'all. I'm so focused on Southern. Hang on here. Yeah. Silence uh, anyways, is great for podcasts. In, interesting. <laughs> one interesting revelation from this depth chart, though, is the fact that LJ Collier isn't the other starting end. Yes. Yes. Ty yeah. Summers has moved down from linebacker once again to the end position, and he was listed as the number one guy on the depth chart this week. Is that, Melissa, just because of the matchup against Southern, or do you really think he went out and won the job away from LJ Collier? I think it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I mean, I do think with a running team like Southern that's going to be smaller but more athletic, that you do get a little bit of advantage by throwing Ty Summers out there. But we know something about LJ. It's that he's had some motivational issues on and off the last couple of years and that Patterson has not been above giving him a little something extra to get him fired up. And so I would not be surprised at all if he said, 
you haven't been the leader that we want you to be or you haven't been giving you know the effort that we need you to give Maximum we're gonna put ty effort. there and show you how it's done because the one thing we know about ty summers is his motor is unbelievable that he is a guy that just gives 100 percent every single snap and so uh, maybe he needs to be out there to set the tone maybe they wanted his more of his veteran experience presence from the opener I still expect to see a lot of LJ Collier at defensive end and defensive tackle, but it looks like Ty is going to be the first guy out of the gates to kind of get set the tempo for the defense and keep those young guys in check. J.K. Dobbins. Yes, was thank the you. Guy that you J.K. Were Dobbins. Of. That's what I was looking for. I know you were still thinking about it. Still think I was one hundred percent. So since Ty is moving down to defensive end, though, that opens up two new starting spots essentially at the linebacker position with the loss of Travin Howard, and now Summers is moving out of that position. Uh, and here's another interesting piece of this whole defensive puzzle is you have a Rico Evans who's starting now at the middle linebacker position. That makes sense. Uh, he's an experienced guy. He's a senior. He's right ahead of Alec Dunham on the depth chart who, you know, Dunham was one of those highly touted kids who just hasn't been able to make his healthy. way into the yeah. ones quite yet. Um, but has been a really good guy, uh, stud on, on special teams. But at that other linebacker position, everyone's, everyone assumed that it was going to be Joan Johnson the Southern Illinois transfer, but it's sophomore Garrett Wallow that's listed number one. Well, (laughs) And let's be honest here. I saw a picture of Garrett Wallow on Instagram, on the TCU Instagram account. I think it was either Tuesday or Monday of this week coming off the field from practice. And he was standing next to Kevontae Turpin. Garrett Wallow looked like he was 11 feet tall in that picture he looked gigantic now i think it was a little offset i think turpin was like five yards behind him or something like that but if that guy is as big as he looked in that picture and as fast and as strong as patterson's touting that he is this might be the next great linebacker that tcu has so i had a big moment yesterday at the press conference okay and it involved garrett wallow and it was me finally being brave enough in that room full of people to risk asking Gary Patterson a question. <laughs> it, was, it was a big, big moment for me. Uh, so the question I did ask him was, Garrett Wallow earned this job. What has he done? Because Wallow was out at the beginning of camp. Um, he was a kid who was recruited at safety to be a linebacker. Um, yep. the, the plan from day one for him was for him to play linebacker at TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, he played a lot of special teams. He was an exceptional special teams talent as a true freshman. Uh, just, just a kind of a maniac on the field. And that's what Patterson described him as. He, he said that he won the job by being able to drop into coverage, by being a guy who's strong in the run game, and by being, and I think this is about as good a compliment as you can give a TCU linebacker, playing like Jason Phillips yeah. in the fact that he's kind of a crazy person on the field. And Patterson said that they won't call any crazy stunts or blitzes the first couple of plays because they're afraid that he'll be so jacked up if he gets a big hit or makes a big play that he won't know what's happening for the rest of the quarter. <laughs> so, which which sounds to me like the kind of linebacker I'm excited to deploy. I can't wait to watch him hit somebody. He's going to be a maniac. He's going to hit them so hard. He's, he's going to be, I think what was Jason Phillips that had that famous poster with the blood on his forehead, right? Uh-huh. Wasn't that Phillips? Yeah. That's Garrett Wallow in a nutshell. And so I think that, that again, we're going to see a lot of rotation at the linebacker position, just like the defensive line. And, and Juwan Johnson has not done anything to not earn a spot on the field. It's just Garrett Wallow's a crazy person. <laughs> And you need a person like that on your defense. You really do. I mean, if you look at the linebacking core for TCU over the past, you know, however long, go back throughout the entire Patterson era, you've got insane people like Paul Dawson at linebacker. <laughs> you've got Jason Phillips. You've got uh, Tank David, Carter. Haw- David Hawthorne and Tank Carter and Daryl Washington. These are crazy you people have to have who will hit dude. you 
as hard as they possibly can. Do you remember when TCU was in the Mountain West and they were playing Wyoming and, like, two series in a row, <laughs> Wyoming ran a naked bootleg and both times their quarterback got knocked out of the game? Both times. I was standing in the student section. I was, like, the second row back, and they're running a naked bootleg, and the Wyoming quarterback didn't even have a chance to look downfield before. I think it was David Hawthorne just destroyed him, put him on the ground. He didn't know where he was. Like, he walked. They, they dragged him off of the field, basically. They sat him down on one of those, uh, you know, like, uh, tables on the, on the sideline, and they were asking him basic questions like, who are you and where are you? And he was just staring blankly at them. That's their what I'm like on a Wednesday of a school their week. backup quarterback goes into the game. They run the same play. He gets drilled again. He comes out of the game, doesn't know where he is. Third string quarterback goes in. They run it again. They run another naked bootleg. And he's, <laughs> this kid was smart. He saw them coming. He saw those linebackers coming, and he just went down. They were probably five, six yards away, and he was just like, no, this isn't worth it. I'm I'm just I'm taking a knee. I'm really glad that you brought up David Hawthorne because Patterson touched on him a little bit too in this press yeah. conference. And one of the things that that folks were asking was about you know TC's history and the lineage and what TC was like 20 years ago when Patterson first stepped foot on campus versus what it's like today. And he talked about all of the players that have come through. I believe it's, it's either 114 or 117 pro players. Yeah. But what he talked about is so many of these guys that have gone on and whether they've played professional football or not gone on to really do make differences in their communities. And, and one of the great examples of that is David Hawthorne, mm-hmm. who had a, about a seven-year seven career in the NFL. He quit, and, and, you know, he was a free agent at the time, but Patterson said kind of with a wink that, you know, he was sick of the attitudes of the young players coming in and wanted to go do something else with his life. And so he moved back to locally. He's in South Lake. He's got a catering business, a food truck, and he's about to open up a restaurant on West 7th Street. And you could tell how proud Patterson was to see one of his guys make it in a different field and be just as successful as an Andy Dalton or, or you know, a LaDainian Tomlinson or whoever else, but just doing it in his way. And one of the cool things was during camp, Hawthorne brought his food truck out and fed all the uh, TCU players barbecue one afternoon. And I, I think it's neat to see um, those players that are going out there, you know, whether they're being successful in football, whether they're being successful in business, or whether they're raising great families or, or getting into coaching or whatever else how much those guys want to come back and be a part of that TCU community and give back to, to the guys that have come after them and, and how much of a role that they take in the mentorship that they have and, and the opportunities to be a part of that program because Patterson has been there for so long. He's seen 800 players come through, yeah. and he has opened the doors and welcomed back every single one of them that's wanted to be there. And we're seeing that with Kenny Hill. You know, we've seen that with um, with, with Hawthorne and, and with J- so many of the guys that are on the staff, like Darnell Fitch and Chad Glass, all these guys that have come back continue to come home to TCU and, and continue to be a part of that that family tree and that lineage. And we even see that with guys who like Casey Paul Hall, mm-hmm. who had a, a, you know, a, a, an up and down career at TCU, uh, an unsuccessful professional football bid, uh, has had kind of a quiet life since he left pro football. Um, but the, what all, and everything that you're talking about right now really kind of exemplifies this idea, this mantra of 40 not 4, this idea that the coaching staff and the university and the city and the fan base all care about these kids for more than just their four or five years on the field. It really is a family. It really is something that lasts for much longer than just your collegiate career. Uh, and it's something that lasts beyond college, regardless of whether you were a superstar on the field or not. You know, uh, there are countless numbers of guys who have come through this football program. One like Jeff Olson comes to mind, who are wildly successful in other careers now, 
that still come back to Fort Worth or still live in the DFW area and are here on Saturdays every week. Uh, it's, it's something that I think just speaks to the value of coming to TCU over other places. Yeah, you know, you don't, absolutely. And, and, yeah, I mean, other schools have guys that come back and, like, stand on the sidelines and sit big games and stuff. But because – and we were talking about this last week, too, stability. Because of the stability of the coaching staff here, it's done in a way that's unique to TCU simply because it's your coach that you're coming back to. You know him. You played for him. Uh, and he's still here coaching, which is something that only one other university can say, and that's Iowa. And who wants to go to Iowa? Iowa. Crazy people. People who don't care about frostbite, which I care about frostbite. It's too cold north of Oklahoma for me most most times of the year. That's all I've got. That's all, I've that's got. all you got. Good. That's all I've got. <laughs> so back to the depth chart. Yes. So uh, one other thing that I really thought was interesting. Uh, so as expected, Ennis Gaines is starting at strong safety. He kind of won that position. Uh just based on his play last year, even though, again, like you said, uh, with Jawan Johnson, it's not anything that Ridwan Isahaku did to lose the job. It's really just what uh, Ennis Gaines did to win it. And so we've seen now Gaines kind of come, uh, come on as the starting strong safety. You've obviously got Nico Small, who's still in that free safety role. Uh, and then Ridwan drops to weak safety. To weak safety yeah. as a starter. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing in this uh, secondary here is that Markel Simmons wasn't even the two. He was the three. And he was the guy that was starting at weak safety near the end of last year with, uh, you know, after Nick War suffered an injury. And, uh, you know, Markel was kind of assumed to be that guy that was going to step in at that starting spot. And it's Isahaku. And I think that speaks to Isahaku's versatility, uh, his intelligence on the football field, because mm-hmm. that is a spot where you need a guy who knows what's going on He's kind of the, the field general for that secondary back there, calling plays and getting people lined up correctly. Um, so I think it's a testament to Isahaku that he could step away from the program completely, come back with just weeks to spare, and still earn a starting role at a different position than he was playing last year. Well, and, and Patterson talked about this as well, and, and part of it was because, you know, he's mentioned that, that they drop into a 4-3 defense a lot. Yeah. With the way that they run it. And the third linebacker becomes that strong safety. And if you look at Ennis Gain, it's at 6'2", over 200 pounds. And the thing we knew about him from the moment he stepped on the football field as a TCU player from day one was that he could knock the snot out of you. Oh, yeah. He is a hard hitter. And so he is the perfect player to drop into that role. And so, you know, what Patterson said was he was a better fit at strong. And because of the intelligence, uh, the, the experience, and uh, just the knowledge of the system that Ridwan and Sahaku has, it was a really natural transition for him to drop him to weak. And, again, speaks highly of uh, – everyone calls him Ray, and thank God, because – there's one could get I'll be a mouthful with Isahaku. So, you know, Ray was willing to, to make those changes, to drop in, to learn another position, and to do whatever was best for the program as a whole. Yeah. And I think that what you end up with is, is a really veteran, experienced secondary to bookend these kind of inexperienced corners, depending on who ends up winning the job opposite Jeff Gladney, whether it's Julius Lewis, depending on how much Noah Daniels gets asked to play. But you've got, again, a lot of veteran players, but not a lot of guys that have played a lot of football for the Horned Frogs. And so having that setting hand on the back end, I think that we'll see a, a much better defense against the, the deep ball, which yeah. has always been a, a weakness in, because of the way the defense is constructed. And you'll see a lot better calls, a lot more continuity, and a lot, uh, a lot more communication in the secondary than you might have seen otherwise. Yeah, and so I think that offsets, too, a little bit of this inexperience that everybody's been talking about 
uh, as of late with TCU, uh, you know, we had a conversation on our Slack channel the other day about how I think it was someone at the Dallas Morning News uh, didn't do the right math on how many uh, returning starts there are along the offensive line. But it's not an unknown that there is uh, a lack of experience, to say the least, on, on this roster this year. But when you have experienced guys in key positions, it offsets that a significant amount, especially when you're talking about guys like uh, Nyang along the offensive line. You've got two really veteran running backs to kind of offset a young quarterback. You've got really experienced wide receivers. Your secondary is, is mostly coming back except for Anthony Tejada. And, you know, the linebacker position is a little bit of a question mark based on experience. But realistically, um, you know, I think there's enough veteran leadership on this thing to push these young guys or these inexperienced guys, especially in those first few weeks, uh, to get them where they need to be heading into Ohio State and the Big 12 slate. Well, and, and one thing to keep in mind, too, and, and I, I had posted this accidentally two weeks ago, but I posted it for real today, and it was the, the experience rankings yeah. over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, TCU is, is ranked, depending on which one you follow, either 120th or 116th in returning experience production-wise. But everybody else in the Big 12 is in the bottom half of the top 100 or below that. Uh, the most re- most experienced team as far as returning starts and returning uh, production is Texas. But the most re- like experienced returning offensive line in the country is Kansas. So So what you're telling me <laughs> is that Kansas is going to win the national championship sure. this year. No, that's actually Texas. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard Melissa heard predicting first. that the Kansas Jayhawks were going to win chop, the national baby. championship. In, in Mark football. it down, put it on the board. Whatever you want to do, remember this moment Uh, (laughs) so that we can shame Melissa for it later. Like in week one after they lose to Nichols. The thing that did strike me a little bit about this is that everyone has been on the Texas bandwagon because, of course, everyone's on the Texas bandwagon because there's a brand new season. That's what we have to do. But if you look at them from a returning experience standpoint, a veteran leadership standpoint, they're probably in the best position of any team in the Big 12 Conference. Mm -hmm. They're really kind of out of excuses this year. And the big question mark for me is can Sam Ellinger keep his head connected to his body this year? That kid dives headfirst into so many piles. His offensive line has been so bad. And the play calling has been atrocious to put him in those situations. If he stays healthy and he takes that first to second year starter jump, Texas could be a really dangerous team. And, you know, Gary Patterson equated it to, to being in a war. Yeah. And I, like, if you start to look at that, that first five weeks, Patterson divides the season up into three parts. And the first part, the first third, is until your first bye week. And so you've got Southern at SMU on a Friday night, which is going to be a tricky game. Ohio State in a neutral site, which won't be neutral because there'll be a lot more Buckeye fans and Jerry World and TCU fans. Yep. You go to Texas, and then you've got Iowa State at home. Mm-hmm. And that transition from Ohio State at Texas to Iowa State is definitely, to me, the most defining moment of your season. Texas is going to be a better football team. And, and maybe TCU should be being given a little bit more respect than to be a, you know, 20, given 20%, 27% odds to win the game. But at the end of the day, that sets up really nicely for the Longhorns to start their Big 12 season off in a way that gives them a lot of momentum going forward. And yeah. TCU is going to have to be prepared to go. And this will not be a 50-7 to game, and it probably won't be a 34-14 to game. We're probably looking at a real slugfest where it could come down to the final possession with two young quarterbacks squaring off in the fourth quarter and two great defenses trying to stop them. That's the game that right now has me more worried than anything. I don't care about Ohio State. want to win that game. 
it's an important game from a national perspective. But if you're looking at TC's goals for the season, that Texas game has got to be circled in red on your calendar. No, I agree. I mean, it's Texas too, right? Like yeah, you always want to beat the blue blood program in the state. And however you look at it, whichever way you cut it, that's Texas. It's probably always going to be. Realistically, though, I need to see something sure. before that's I'm going to buy in to what you're talking about here. And they'll have a chance. Because realistically, last year it was supposed to be a slugfest. Even with a younger quarterback, they had an incredible defense last year, right? They had Puna Ford at defensive tackle who can take on a triple team and still get to the quarterback, right? Like they had uh, Malik Jefferson. I mean, they had all, Holton Hill on the, back, in the, on the back end there. Like they had all of these really strong defensive players, and TCU still went out and whooped their butt. So I need to see something more from Texas before I'm going to buy into it being a slugfest. I'm, I'm concerned about that game, yes, obviously. I'm concerned about every game on TCU's schedule, just like Gary Patterson is. I, not, as, not insofar as, like, I'm worried about Southern, but, yeah, I'm worried about losing to Texas because that would mean that TCU is taking a step back yeah. while Texas takes a step forward. Sure. I have no doubt that Texas is going to take a step forward this year. But realistically, they're coming off of a 7-6 and six season where they were really – you know, working through quarterback issues because both guys suffered concussions at some point last year. Their offensive line is probably not going to be very good this year. Nobody is stepping up at running back yet. Defensively, they lost a lot of senior leadership. So, I, you know, I'm looking at Texas, and I'm seeing a lot of key places that they need to replace guys. Uh, and they still have a question at quarterback because, like you said, Ellinger could make the jump. He could be incredibly good this year. He has a, he has a strange... And really kind of worrisome injury history with all of his concussions. Uh, Shane Buchel has concussion issues as well. Well, it's, it's Cameron Rising and, is going to be the guy. It's and, not going to yeah, be Buchel. Exactly. And so, and and we're talking about another guy who is highly touted, but has no experience. So, and I know that the, we can say the same things about TCU too, with Sean Robinson and with some of these guys defensively and along the offensive line. Like we can say all of the same things. I am more confident at this point in TCU's coaching staff than I would be if I was a Texas fan in Texas's coaching sure, staff. Sure, yeah, that's fair. And so I'm not saying that TCU's going to win 50-7. I don't think it's going to be uh, as big of a battle as maybe some people are worried about it being. I, I don't think they're going to win the national championship this year like Robert Smith does. I don't think that either, but... But, you know, they, they have some opportunities to really make a statement going to Maryland, which, yeah. I mean, that program is a dumpster fire. right now, yeah. But then you get USC at home, and even though USC is starting a true freshman that should be a high school quarterback this year, they still have a, a ton of talent. They're much like Texas, yeah. that they recruit well every year. They've got the guys. They've got some questions at important positions, but they still, I mean, every everybody that they roll out there is a four-star or five-star, and so they, mm-hmm. if they can pull it together, they could be really dangerous, but... You know, Texas and, and TCU are both coming off these huge national showcase games that will be happening at the exact same time. Yep. How those games go could go a long way to, de- to determine how that next Saturday goes as well. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're still absolutely kids. right. Yeah, there's still young you're kids playing right. these games. I think there are enough question marks on both sides with both teams at this point that we don't really know how that game's going to turn out. And obviously, we've still got a month. Until sure. that game happens, you know. Yeah, we should only a, be talking about Southern. We should Sorry, really coach. only be focusing on Southern right now. Uh, so let's kind of avert back to that or digress, I suppose, back to, to Southern. And let's talk about Saturday uh, because I don't know exactly what you're expecting from this game on Saturday. But I don't think that the starters are going to play past the third quarter. I think guys start to rotate out permanently at the uh, about midway through the third quarter mark, especially when... Patterson has already said, you know, Michael Collins is going to get some playing time. 
Some of these backup offensive linemen are going to get some legit playing time. Uh, he probably wants to see multiple folks at the linebacker position and at the defensive tackle spot. Uh, so what do you think? How, do you, how long do you see guys like Sean Robinson and Jalen Rager staying in this first week? So I'm going to make a couple of predictions here. All right. Number one, Michael Collins plays in the first quarter. Okay. I think he plays within the first three series. Why, Num- do, you, why do you think that? Uh, Patterson was— Experience with the ones? Well, I, yeah, I think it was a little bit, you know, he was very clear that, like you said, Collins was going to play, and he was clear that Collins was going to play early. Oh, okay. And, and I think by early, it's not, I don't think he's going to come in when the game's in hand. I think they're going to give him a shot to play with some of those ones. And nice. I expect to see him in the first three series. I think, number two, that we won't know much more about Sean Robinson by the end of that game than we do right now. Mm-hmm. Because just the, the defensive level of competition won't be high enough to really tell us. Um, yeah. I think that, that we're going to see as I think we, we're going to see the first Grayson Mulestein touchdown. Ooh, okay. And it's going to be a pass. Hey, oh. And I also. He has not completed a pass in a game yet. In his he hasn't career. attempted a pass. That's right. Yeah, he is 0 for 0. Um, and I also want to make another prediction, and I need to find his last name here. But there's a guy who has been playing running back for TCU with Shewu and Darius, Kennedy Snell, and Amari Darmocardo all out of the lineup for most of camp. And his name is Jacques, and I think it's Guillaume. Pretty sure it's Guillaume, and it's been a while since I've taken French. Um, but, but he has talked about Jacques on more than one occasion. And you know, he, every time he does it, you guys don't even know Jacques. You're going to get to know Jacques. So I think we're going to see Jacques in game one, and I think he's going to break for like a 25-yard run and become that guy that we're all, we're all like calling for at the end of ballgames. Nice. I like it. I yeah. like human victory cigars. Me too. And he's going to be a stud. At, and he's probably gotten some significant reps in the fall too because – Oh, he's been the only running yeah, back in the scrimmage. Exactly. He was the only running back two weeks ago in the scrimmage. Yeah. So – it's not like he's going to come in just not knowing what to do. Yeah, he's go gotten get him, the reps. He's gotten the reps. Uh, and, you know, realistically, when you've got two running backs banged up that are supposed to be features in your offense, why not give the ball to a guy like this who is tough and knows the offense and can burn downs for you early and often? Yeah, let him get some reps. You're going to see a lot of the true freshmen, too, because of the redshirt rule. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that, that Patterson has also talked a lot about is how do you balance getting those guys in versus when you need to have them still. Sure. And so I do think you'll see some of those get some live action. I don't think he'll use some of the guys he expects to need later, but you may see some of those kind of fourth and fifth string guys get a couple of reps, get an opportunity to just get the, the nerves out a little bit and hopefully a low-pressure environment. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And then you still save them. You've still got three more games that you can play them. And like you said, you know, when when they're needed, if they're needed. Uh, so who are you most excited to see, though? Name one player that you're most excited to see on Saturday. Noah Daniels. Yeah? I'm really excited about Noah Daniels. Um, Noah Daniels and, and Yo-Yo are the two guys that, that I think are going to be the next great cornerbacks for TCU football. Um, Noah just has – he's got the size, the athleticism. He looks the part, and he has just been – had a really, really impressive camp. And so, you know, I think that, that Julius Lewis is probably going to be the guy this year opposite Jeff Gladney. And Gladney, by all accounts, has had an outstanding camp too when he's been healthy. And so – but I think Noah Daniels could be one of those guys that they keep trying to – they have to find a place to put him to where we could see him play multiple positions in the same game, that we could see him bounce back and forth between safety and cornerback. But he's a guy that, that I think is going to be really, really fun to watch for the next couple of years and end up being bringing a little bit of that swagger back to that TCU defense. Uh, yeah, for me, it's Terrell Cooper. Mm-hmm. I'm just really excited to see sure. what this young gun can do along the defensive line. 
Uh, by all accounts, he's been dominant in practice since Blacklock got hurt. I sound like a broken record probably these last three or four <laughs> podcast episodes just talking about Terrell Cooper. I might have to buy a Terrell Cooper jersey. You may need to. Um, no, I'm just excited, though, to see this guy and how he gets his CCU career started. Obviously, it's against Southern, but it's him going against an opposing offensive line. He's got some, he's got some potential. He's got some raw talent. And now we're going to get to see what he does in a game situation. Uh, and so, yeah, he's, he's the guy I'm most excited to see. Let's move, though, along to picks to click, which is different than who we're excited to see. Uh, I did not prepare you for this ahead of no, time, so if you need to take a minute, I'll go ahead and say my yeah, two first. My first one is a guy that you've mentioned already, Jeff Gladney. Uh, I have been hearing the same things that you've heard about him and camp this, uh, this fall, but he is a guy that I was impressed with last year. Uh, he's the fastest guy on the team. Everybody will remember he ran down Bryce Love in the Alamo Bowl, which I thought was physically impossible for any human to do. Um, but if this guy can move from being just kind of that raw, speed-first corner to being a legitimate man-to-man cornerback like TCU has started to crank out here over the past few years, uh, I, am, I am so excited to see what Jeff Gladney does this season. And I think it starts with him just locking down whoever he's on against Southern because he is big and he is fast and he is talented. So give me Jeff Gladney as my first guy. Second guy, senior, wide receiver, coming back for his last season, Jalen Austin. You were probably thinking about him as one of your picks. I have a different one, but he's up there on my list. Um, This is a kid who has kind of been overshadowed by other wide receivers for his TCU career, Uh, and everybody's talking about Jalen Rager and Kevontae Turpin this year. But uh, Jalen Austin is going to be, I think, and you mentioned this last week, that John DeArce third down, just old, reliable, old, faithful kind of wide receiver this year for TCU. I think he actually goes over like 600 yards receiving this year for TCU. I think he's going to have a monster senior, not a monster senior, but a big senior year, especially for for TCU receivers who have not just filled up the stat book over the last few seasons. Um, So I'm excited to see him come out and get his senior season started on the right foot on Saturday. So I was going to go Dylan Thomas okay, because you went wide receiver. And it's the same thing. He earned that starting job to the surprise yeah. of a lot of people. And I think he's going to have a great year. But I'm going to swerve since you went with Jalen Austin. Swerve. All right. And I'm going to go with Kennedy Snell. Okay. I don't expect to see much of Darius Anderson. I don't expect to see a lot of Shewu, And so I could see this being the kind of game where Kennedy Snell goes over 100 all-purpose yards. Yeah. I could see him running the ball, catching the ball in the slot, doing a bunch of different things. And mm-hmm. I think he will be the lead ball carrier as the, run, the third running back in this game. And then we're going to see him have 100, 110 yards on the day. I mean, that's, that's in line with what he did last year as a mm-hmm. true freshman, right? Yeah. I mean, against Jackson State, he had over 100 all-purpose yeah. yards. Against SMU, he had like a 67-yard touchdown reception. Uh, he ran the ball a little bit against Arkansas. So, the, you know, I think you're absolutely right to make that call because Kennedy Snell is probably going to see the bulk of the carries on Saturday once Darius and Shewo go, uh, go to the bench. And on the defensive side of the ball, yeah, you know, we've talked about Ross Blacklock getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Ross got hurt, we started talking about, well, who's going to move inside? What's Brandon Bowen going to do? What's LJ going to move inside? What's Mike Epley doing? Oh, we've got Terrell Cooper and George Ellis three and all these guys that look great. And the one name that nobody has been talked about, no one has mentioned, no one has said is going to be the next great DT is Corey Bethley. And if I'm Corey Bethley, I'm sitting there stewing and steaming and ready to go knock somebody's head off Saturday morning. Yeah. Corey Bethley was not any different when you look statistically 
than Ross Blacklock. He had a heck True. of a sophomore season or a redshirt freshman season last year as well. He was a part of that killer bees too. And the minute that Ross Blacklock got hurt, everybody forgot about him. I have a feeling that by Saturday afternoon, nobody will have forgotten about him again. And for the rest of the season, that he is going to be the guy that really steps up and takes ownership and brings that defensive line up to the level they need to be to compete week in and week out. Oh, I have no doubt that he's going to – and, you know, that's interesting that you say that, that nobody's mentioned him. I wonder – for me, I don't. I don't think I've talked about him a lot, simply because my assumption is that. Are you trying to get on his good side so he doesn't hit you? That would hurt a lot. He is a big <laughs> human being, so maybe that maybe that is part of it. But no, I you know I think that I haven't talked about him as much, simply because I know that he's going to be starting. Yeah. And I know what to expect. I think from him at this point, which is just a high level of play every single down. Like the guy has an unstoppable motor. He's always going 100. percent He's going to blow up offensive lines. He's going to command double teams this year. Like He is the guy at defensive tackle. And so I think for me, the, the reason I haven't been talking about him too much is really because we we had these this duo of defensive tackles, and now we have one incredible defensive tackle and unknowns on that Nice, Nice job trying to get back on his good side, Thank Jamie. You. Well done. I think it worked. I think it worked. We'll see. Don't worry, Corey. I got you, buddy. But, you know, TCU and Southern isn't the only football game no, on Saturday. No, that can't be true. I mean, it's the only one of any import at all. But every other Big 12 team plays, starting with Oklahoma State playing Missouri State, actually on Thursday night. So the likelihood is is that if you're listening to this through the iTunes podcast app or on Podbean or wherever podcasts are found, Oklahoma State is playing today, and that's pretty intense. They're no Rainbow Warriors. Go Pokes. They're no Rainbow Warriors, but go Pokes. We want the Big 12 to start out on the right foot, and a loss to Missouri State would not be, would not be the way to a go. start on the right foot. I know there is a Sooner fan in this building who wouldn't mind seeing that, though. But that's okay. It's okay. Uh, obviously, I think Oklahoma State's going to win that game. We don't have much else to say there. Do you think Oklahoma State's going to win that game? I think so, but I am really interested to see what the quarterback situation yeah. looks like and, and, and also to see Justice Hill just run roughshod over that poor defense or whatever yeah. they roll out there. And, you know, uh, Oklahoma State – we talk about TCU cranking out, you know, whatever you want to say they crank out these days. Defense, offensive linemen, I suppose, if you look at the NFL. Oklahoma State is one of those schools that cranks out wide receivers. Yeah, for sure. And so I'm interested to see who steps up in, in place of James Washington this year. They've got some really good talent uh, at the wide receiver position. They've got some incredible depth there. So I'm interested to see who steps into that lead wide receiver role for, uh, for Oklahoma State. Moving to Saturday, though. Uh, a really intriguing matchup for the defending Big 12 champs right out of the gate with Lane Kiffin's Florida Atlantic coming to town. This is one of those games that I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, Dangerous game. makes you a little bit nervous Dangerous just game. because it's lane the first train, game. Baby. The Let's lane go. train. Just because it's the first game of the season with a new quarterback and it's Lane Kiffin, so you really don't know what he's going to do. at an... <laughs> So... You know, I, I, if I was an OU fan, I'd be nervous. Uh, I think Oklahoma wins this game, but I don't think it's going to be by any kind of impressive margin simply because, you know, Florida Atlantic had some momentum at the end of last season. I think they won like seven or eight yeah. games in a row to finish their year off. And uh, like I said, with Lane Kiffin, you just never really know what to expect. Uh, it'll be fun. It'll be we fun. Know that. That's, I mean, that has a chance to be like one of those 54-52 games that comes out of nowhere and everybody uh-huh. is like holding what their breath in the on? fourth quarter and then Kyler Murray is going to break off like a 92-yard run. Everyone's going to anoint him and they're going to forget about the fact that they almost lost to FAU. 
Right. <laughs> the next husband. We have an Oklahoma fan in our midst. We folks. do. Just, just He's sitting it. really close to us also. If you can throw a napkin and hit him, I'll buy you a beer. What? No. <laughs> no, you're too close. That so, doesn't count. <laughs> so, you know, and I think this is one of those things for a coach that you're a little frustrated about simply because, uh, you know, most coaches going into week one, if you're playing a non-Power 5 opponent, you're really looking forward to getting reps for your twos. But Oklahoma can't plan for that. Yeah. Simply because FAU is a pretty talented team. Sure. Uh, you know, it's like TCU and a bunch of other Big 12 schools know that their twos are going to get reps on Saturday. But Oklahoma doesn't know that yet. Now, in week two, I haven't looked at who they play the second week of the season, but I think it's it's like UCLA, right? Yeah, it's UCLA. And so, that, you know, the first two weeks of the year, they're kind of being – neither of those teams are, are powerhouses by any stretch of the imagination, but you've got to be on hey, don't, from don't day one. Hey, don't sleep on UCLA. I will. They are my dark horse – Pac-12 really? South You're, champion. Okay. Well, I guess Stanford's Pac-12 North, right? So that's okay. It's not a conflict. You got water, yeah, and it's not a conflict of interest. Yeah, so. okay. I will be at USC, Stanford, though, in week two. Very nice. So Very nice. Stanford will be my, my dark horse playoff pick this year. That'll be pretty exciting. Uh, moving right along, like you mentioned already, Texas is going to Maryland to open their season week one. Maryland is just a garbage what a program sad, right now. Sad situation. Uh, for a so really many sad reasons. Situation. First of all, they're just not good at football. Second of all, look, seems like their coaching staff just aren't yeah. good human beings. Yeah. DJ uh, they're is mourning the, worst. the loss of a teammate in uh, Jordan McNair. You know, I think Texas wins this game. I think that this is a claim that Texas is back kind of game as they prepare for USC in week two. Uh, but you know, realistically. I don't think this is one of those first-week games where you can really get a good read on either program. Well, yeah, I mean, and you also have to factor in, though, is, is that Texas is a much better football team than Maryland. The same was true yeah. a year ago true. in Austin. And then you also add in the fact that, you know, no Maryland's matter what the also, adults in the room are doing, yeah, but the Mar- kids have the ability to unite together and yeah. overcome even horrible grown-ups. True. And, and so will this be an emotional kind of game? What, what will the fan support be like? Are the fans yeah. going to show up and support the kids? Are, are the players themselves going to be able to overcome all the garbage around them and, and get that one big win? Or are they going to be so deflated before the ball's even kicked off that, yeah. that the game's over before it starts? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the big question because uh, however we answer that question by halftime at least, uh, yeah. you know, that we'll, we'll know based on, on what the scoreboard looks like, I think. Uh, <laughs> But beyond that, really, I don't think this is the kind of game where Texas can answer a lot of questions for no, people. Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, this is just like last year when they got they gave up fifty to Maryland at home, and then they went and they almost beat USC on the road, and and people just from those two games really looked at Texas and said, "I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, know what. Nothing. I don't know what to think of you." And I think that's more of the same this year with Maryland. Another intriguing matchup. Big 12 has a pretty good slate. Yeah, it's not week bad one. for an opener. Yeah. Uh, Texas Tech hosting Ole Miss. It's great. It's a great game. That's well, be a neutral site. Oh, sorry. Where? Houston. Houston, you're right. You're NRG Stadium, down where the Texans <laughs> play. Um, I will say if, if TCU wasn't playing Saturday, I would be at that game. Could, could oh. you imagine a more insane fan base in one building? Just like opposite ends of the spectrum, but equally drunk and obnoxious. I mean, we, we've both gotten to experience both of those fans in, in person. Yeah. You know, and a lot of TC fans know Ole Miss fans from before the Peach Bowl. They don't know any after because they were all gone by halftime. Boom roasted. 
But you did know. you see that they turned the land shark into a real oh mascot? It was I wonder why it's I've not wearing seen. a TCU jersey. Yeah, it, it is the worst thing I've ever seen. I actually sent a message to one of my former students who's at Ole Miss, and they apparently like it. I mean, I think it's horrifying. It looks pl- uh, like it gives it me would, nightmares. It would give my four and a half year old nightmares. Oh, 100%. For sure. 100%. Uh, yeah, you have, so you have the Texas Tech fans, though, who are just, you know, West Texas Dust Bowl is the way that you describe them. I don't want to say trashy, but like. I'll let you have that one. Uh, yes, my I, wife I did work, go to Texas Tech. I work Tech. with some Red Raiders. She is You're married trashy. to one, so. Let me, let me walk that back a little bit. I love my wife very much, she's a wonderful person. Uh, but then you have Ole Miss, who's like full-on country wealth. Like, I don't even know. But they're, but they both. I will give this credit to both fan bases. They know how to have a good time. They do. That they will know be a how really, to party. really fun game. They know how to tailgate. <laughs> and uh, I would not be surprised if we hear stories from that game where like fans are just fighting each other, yeah. left and right. Just fights all throughout the stadium. It's going to be incredible. And, you know, football-wise, neither team is really good. I mean, you know, Ole Miss is still kind of embroiled in all of this controversy from a year ago. They lost a couple big transfers based on that. Hugh Freeze is really, uh, you know, shaking his head and wondering uh, who he could have called uh, to delete all of the information off of his phone like Urban (laughs) Meyer did. Um, And then you've got uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who realistically – if Kingsbury doesn't have a winning season with Tech this year, he's probably finally fired. Yeah. So there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of kind of interesting storylines going on in the midst of that Tech Ole Miss game. Probably the game that I'm most interested in watching, though, outside of TCU's game on Saturday, is West Virginia Tennessee in Charlotte Whew. at the racetrack. That's going to be fun to watch it's... Will Greer break in his senior season against an SEC team that has got a new head coach in Jeremy Pruitt. Apparently, they've got some momentum based in fall camp. Uh, they're having to replace a lot of guys, though, on both sides of the ball. So, I'm, I don't know. I'm just really intrigued by this game. I think if West Virginia wins this game, they're going to be kind of the media darling to win the Big 12 this year and maybe be a playoff team. Well, and, and the interesting thing about this game, too, is because they're playing at the racetrack, yeah. they're only allowed to turn right on offense. <laughs> that was yeah. strong. They have to play from the left hash, or they're going to be going in short side of the field. <laughs> no, too but, often. but it is. It's you know, it's it's a it's a middling SEC program, but it's an SEC program with a lot of momentum that is coached by another completely and totally insane person, and in Jeremy Pruitt, who yep. is a madman. Um, you you've got a lot of attention being play, paid to that program. The the Tennessee is back narrative is almost as old as the Texas is back narrative. Yeah, um, they are the Texas uh-huh. is back of the SEC East, and so for West Virginia to legitimize themselves as a contender in the Big Twelve and and potentially as a national maybe maybe New Year's Day contender, mm-hmm. they have to get this win, and they have to look good doing it. It won't be enough just to win by one. They're going to have to come out and make a statement now. It may still be a close game, but they're going to have to show that defensively they can slow the team down, that offensively Will Greer can be the four-touchdown guy, not the one-touchdown, two-picks guy that we've seen him be in, in different spots, and, and that he can look ready to compete for an entire season. And so this is yeah. a big, big opener for West Virginia, um, whose defense is replacing a lot of pieces, who lost some really good players on offense as well. But I expect to see the David Sills and Will Greer show early and often uh, down in uh, – uh, Charlottesville, and, and what should be a you want again? You want to talk about Ole Miss and Texas Tech fans? Uh, West Virginia and Tennessee fans can throw themselves a little bit of a party too. Yes, so that would be can. a real fun game. It really can, and you know this is for West Virginia. This is an opportunity 
to change the way that they start the season based on, you know, last year you look at that marquee game they played against Virginia Tech in week one. They got to a slow, got off to a slow start. Virginia Tech pulled ahead by a couple of touchdowns, and West Virginia was chasing, chasing, yeah. chasing, and they never could get back over the hump again. They lost by a touchdown. So I think for West Virginia, it's important for them to get off on a quick start on offense because I don't think Tennessee's offense is going to be able to keep up sure. if West yeah, Virginia is definitely. clicking on all cylinders, cylinders right out of the gate, especially when you've got, you know, obviously Will Greer, but you've got David Stills, who has the potential to be. Did you one know of the that he best. was recruited as a 14 year old to play quarterback oh, at USC under yes Lincoln? I, yes, I did, Melissa. I'm, I, I sure want to get the first did. one of the season. I wanted to be first. Yeah. Well, good for you. <laughs> I did draft him in our fantasy football college league for the Frogs War League this year. I have no idea who so I drafted. I can't wait you to find auto-drafted. out. You auto drafted. You auto drafted. But I've got David Stills. So I'm, I'm like totally down for him to score 18 touchdowns again this year, as long as none of them are against TCU. See, I, don't, I cannot pick anybody that plays TCU this year because I cannot, dis- I cannot I took, possibly root for people that are hurting my team. I took two Big 12 players. You're the worst. I took Rodney Anderson, who will be the second-best Anderson in the league this year behind Darius. Darius said and so. Also, I have, uh, I, you bring up Rodney, and you know what this reminds me of. What's that? Uh, you still owe us a one-chip challenge. I do. Damn it. I, I didn't do. forget. I will acquire a one-chip challenge. This brain works once a year. All right, so here's the deal. We'll be back at Dutch's Locker Room again next week since it's the first Wednesday of a new month. I will see if I can acquire a one-chip challenge chip between now and then, and I will ship it to me. Ne- you know, next Wednesday does happen to be my birthday. Happy birthday. And this so I feel like you we can put a birds. candle. You can put a candle on your one chip and two birds with one stone. This is me paying up on a bet from last year and this will be my birthday gift to you. Oh. Perfect. Oh. What Dang a great twenty first birthday completely, for me. I had completely forgotten about that. I had not. So. Or I'll give you the option. You can still coat your shirt in barbecue sauce and eat that too. I won't do that. Either one of those is perfectly fine. I don't even the remember only what time shirt that I was it's wearing. Good to see a player run for two hundred yards against us is when it ends in you experiencing deep physical pain. But I love you, buddy. I love you. It's uh, all right. Thank you. Well, this is why I drafted <laughs> Rodney Anderson. I figured if he's helping me win in fantasy football, it Might won't hurt as it. much if he's doing that to TCU this year. Okay. I don't think he will. But you never know. He's, he's incredibly talented. So, but anyways, back to West Virginia and Tennessee. I think that David Stills has the potential to be you know, a top five wide receiver in, in the country this year, especially if Will Greer stays, stays healthy. So uh, you know, I'm excited to see West Virginia versus Tennessee. The marquee matchup, though, of the Big 12 slate week one, Baylor, sorry, Kansas what? versus Nichols. Oh. A real toss-up. Uh, you know what? Honestly, like, what's, what's the line here? Do we know? Probably three and a half. Kansas uh, three and a half. Yeah, Kansas is the home yeah, team. It, you so. know, this is a really interesting national. Uh, sorry, my national championship. Kansas even out. even national champs struggle out of the gate true, sometimes. Look true. at Florida State, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, they got destroyed in the playoffs that year. So yeah. I think Kansas is an interesting spot because you know they have a quarterback that they've anointed who's not very good, but that at least is experienced and knows what he's doing. You've got you've got Doug Meacham in, in year two who has got to at least raise the talent level a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, just by virtue of, of knowing what he's doing. You've got Jeff Long and the pressure that comes with that. They, they've actually invested in caring about football. But then on the flip side of that, you also have them tweeting out a picture of their mascot sitting in a trash can. So The jokes write themselves. Yeah. Really, with Kansas football. Like, I, I saw that you had quote tweeted that from the Frogs War Twitter account, and I thought it was like, some sort of mock account. I thought it was some sort of mock account. No, not that the was actual, the official. 
not the actual Kansas football Twitter Blue handle, tweeting out a picture of their mascot sitting in a trash can. Oh, Kansas. I mean, at least what they own it. They're ready for basketball season, apparently, already. Uh, I'm trying to look up the uh, lines for Sunday or for Saturday. I want to see who or how much Kansas is favored by over Nichols State. Let's see here. This is great. Podcast. Great radio. This is really a great podcast moment right now. I will say, I just saw a tweet from uh, Kendall Rogers yeah. talking about college managers that are paid more than MLB managers. Guess who comes in uh, number 13th on highest paid college manager? That would be Jim Schlossnagel. That would be Jim, fan of the show, apparently. Well, no, fan of the show, Jim Schlossnagel. No, but he would be the 13th highest manager in, in pro baseball. In MLB, that's right. At his current salary. Yeah. He's the second highest paid coach in, in college, in college yes. yeah, The I first highest, code, highest paid coach being uh, Flor- is it Florida's head coach? I think it's Florida. Because yeah. he was going to be, he would be, I think a top five MLB pro manager as far as salary goes. But that's pretty. That's pretty crazy. It's insane. That's pretty crazy. I'm not having any luck finding. They probably this don't line. put the lines on games like that because nobody wants to admit this they is true. Kansas. Let's move along to Kansas State and South Dakota. This is probably the start of Kansas State's, you know, under-the-radar bid for the Big 12 championship Gonna this year. Going to win nine or ten games. Just yeah. watch. This is the perfect – this is the Bill Snyder season. Everything sets up. Everybody else has question marks. Kansas I mean, State doesn't do anything great, but they don't do anything poorly. They're they don't going make to be a pain to play for everybody in 2018. Yeah, I mean, you look back at TCU's win over them last year. Such an anomaly. So odd. Yeah, uh, such an anomaly. Quarterbacks were getting hurt. There were two major rain delays in the midst of that game. It took like seven hours to finish. Uh, yeah, it's. It, I don't think it plays out like that uh, this year. I mean, I, th- I think TCU wins, but, you know. So I am looking at the line now for Kansas and Nichols State. And it looks like 69% of the money is uh, if we're talking about the spread, nice. yes, a very nice percentage of the money is being put on Nichols State to cover the oh spread. I can't find the actual spread. Doesn't matter. Wow. Whatever it is, it's probably not, probably too That's much. That's pretty rough. That's pretty rough if you're Kansas State or Kansas. Uh, moving on, Baylor is playing Abilene Christian. I don't want to talk about that. Any other? Shout out any? to the new Baylor tight end, starting tight end, Christoph Henley. Go Owls. Oak Ridge, Oak Ridge alum starting for Baylor. Yeah. Oak Ridge alum starting for Baylor. So uh, I still hate Baylor, but I just have to hate them a little bit less in 2018. Do you? No, I don't. Do Sorry, you? Christoph. You don't. And lastly, Iowa State playing South Dakota State. Uh, the matchup that TCU had two years ago when they struggled throughout the season and South Dakota State had everyone freaking out at halftime of that first game uh, because they had that huge wide receiver who just was untouchable, so good. apparently. Untouchable. Um, other big games this week, though. Oh, we didn't actually pick our game yet. Oh, we should do that. We should probably pick the TCU, the TCU game. Show, TCU plays yeah. Southern, 11 a.m., Amon G. Carter Stadium, Fox Sports Southwest. Davy Day. Davy Day. Celebrating the 80th anniversary of TCU's national championship. Woo! Let's not make it 81. I prefer to keep it at a round number. So, give me a score prediction for TCU over Southern. I think that, that we're going to see the Frogs do some really good things. 
Uh, I think Southern is, is going to move the ball well, but this defense has a lot of pride, and you've got a lot of guys that are looking to show that, that they've not just earned the spot, but that they can keep the lineage of great TCU and Gary Patterson defenses. My favorite quote from him from yesterday was that at TCU, we don't train players to play like redshirt freshmen. The guys aren't allowed to play like redshirt freshmen. They train players to be one of the best defenses in the country, in the conference, and one of the best defenses in the country. And so it doesn't matter if this is their first start or their 40th start, that he expects these guys to come out ready to play. And so I think we're going to see a very juiced-up TCU team get out there and, and try to knock some heads and, and just show people that they're ready for this season. Um, Patterson's never been one to pour it on. And so I don't think we're looking at like a 63 to nothing kind of game. But I expect the Frogs to – I expect to be a little bit nervous, jitters that first quarter. But by halftime for this thing to be pretty well in the bag and TCU to come away with maybe a 42 to 9 win. I don't think the defense gives up three field goals. Wow. All right. I say 56 to 3. Wow. I think realistically – and we've seen this in games like this in the past with TCU – you know, you can never underestimate the four-string running back snapping off a 40-yard touchdown run. I, I, if we're if we're really going to push both of our, these quarterbacks to get significant playing time, then they're not going to just limit their op- opportunities from, as from a playbook standpoint. They're going to get out there and they're going to get significant reps. So I think that that will result in uh, points. I, I, I just it's the nature of this kind of a game, and so I have TCU 56 to three. And I think the focal point for Gary Patterson is the fact that his defense gave up a field goal. I like that. Yeah. There's some other big games around the country this week. Washington hosts Auburn. Both are preseason top ten teams, which means so much, as we know, from past experience. But this should be a matchup of teams that are vying for their respective conference titles near the end of the season if everything plays out like expectations uh, are going for both of these teams. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you think about this matchup. I still Washington has been a good team. Chris Peterson is one of the best coaches in the country year in and year out. I know people are high on Jake Browning and I know I should be supportive of him being that like I saw this kid play back in high school and I knew, I saw what he did in yeah. in a couple of different leagues back there when I was in California, but I just don't believe in Washington. I don't think they're that good. I think they're Pac-12 good, but I think the rest of the Pac-12 is finally starting to catch up and you're going to see a much improved conference over the next couple of years. Uh, I think Auburn rolls in this one. Jared yeah. Sidham is, is an NFL player. He looks the part of NFL quarterback right now. They've got the running game. They've got the great wide receivers. They've got a lot of speed on the defense. Uh, this, is, this one's going to be over a lot earlier than people expect. Oh, I, I agree with you completely. I, the Auburn coaching staff is absolutely ecstatic about what Jared Sidham showed them the back half of last year yeah. and in fall camp this year. Remember I, when that guy was going to Tech and then to, went to Baylor? Remember all the, all of the controversy about him working for that Baylor guy at the dealership and getting a truck and blah, 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 and all of those accusations that were slung around. And so uh, he got himself out of a bad situation into a good one, uh, and now it's starting to pay pay for him and pay for Auburn. And I, I do think they're the challenger for, uh, for uh, yeah. with Alabama in the, in the West Georgia, of the SEC yeah. this year. Uh, another big matchup, uh, a, an old, old, old rivalry that now has to be first week of the season because of Big Ten scheduling and because of Notre Dame's this new association with so good. the ACC. But Notre Dame and Michigan Such playing in game. week one, that's going to be an incredible game. Everybody is talking about how good Notre Dame is going to be this year. They're ranked 12th in the preseason. 
Michigan is ranked 14th. Harbaugh, though, has really struggled in marquee matchups since returning to coach Michigan. He's 1-4 against Ohio State. He has a losing record against Michigan State. Uh, he's, he's struggled against Penn State and Washington. This is an opportunity for Harbaugh to show that he can coach at an elite level at this at, in college well, football. And he finally has his quarterback. He finally does. But this is also an opportunity for Notre Dame to really show that, that Brian Kelly is turning that program around. He changed his whole persona last year. Remember, like, there was all of this talk about how he was not going to just totally explode on people like he had for pretty much his entire career. And he toned it down a lot, and it seemed to have a positive impact on Notre Dame. This, I'm, I am so excited for this game. I think it's going to be uh, – game day is going to be there. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be a really exciting game. It's two good teams. The, one of two things happens here, though, is either Shea Patterson is as good as people think Shea Patterson could be, yeah. and the, the Michigan-Jim Harbaugh hype train goes – off the rails in their playoff team. And, yeah. and it's a good time to strike in the Big Ten because Michigan State's still going to be really, really good. No one's talking about them, but they're very good. Yeah. Ohio State, obviously, there's a lot of question marks about what this season's going to look like for them with Urban Meyer being a horrible person. I, I mean, supposedly. Um, Allegedly. Someone take away Zach Smith's Twitter account, by the way. Just as a oh, side did note, you see take, that today? he's a moron. Oh, um, did, we can all agree he's all the, the worst. I liked right? all of the gifts talking about what – Zach Smith's lawyer was doing in the midst of his Twitter storm. Such a moron. Um, but, but yeah, so, you know, if, if Michigan wins this game, I mean, it is going to be all big block M all season long. If Notre Dame wins this game, then they have set themselves up to, to potentially take advantage of a, of a little bit of a, a down or a, an uneven Big 12, take advantage of still a down Pac-12, and really put themselves in the conversation to be that, that fourth playoff team. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be uh, – I think hopefully all the hype lives up to it and we get a really, really great football game. I agree. Uh, I'm just – these are two historic programs. Yeah. I'm glad that these we're getting these types of openers again. Right, this is what happens when conference realignment doesn't ruin rivalries. Like in Texas, we've seen the negative impact of conference realignment with the Texas uh, and Texas A&M death of that rivalry. Uh, And we talked a little bit about it last week about how A&M is now actively avoiding playing Texas in football. Uh, But this is a good this is a good matchup for college football in that these teams have been playing for over a hundred years. And their rivalry is incredibly storied. Uh, I'm trying to look up uh, their overall record against each other. Um, But I think it's incredibly close. Like, these two teams hate each other. um, And just this is is the kind of matchup that college football fans generally really want to see. Yeah, and and it's how the season should open. You should get these marquee matchups. And in the playoff era, we've seen the negative of playing these tough schedules with teams that have gotten left out. And we've seen the positive of playing cupcake schedules. You know, if you're in Alabama or somebody, you can, you know, eat up on on bad teams. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, this is good for college football. It's good for the fans. It's going to be a blast in South Bend. And and I think it's the kind of game that really gets people excited. And I actually believe this is the featured on my favorite website, Winspedia. 24 to 16 is the, uh, the, the current, looks like the current era for uh, Michigan has the advantage here. Current win streak, Notre Dame won in 2014, I believe, right? Yes. That's the last time that they played. So this is a rivalry that has kind of died out over the last four years that they're re, uh, you know, kind of injecting some life back into. That's just going to be a great game. Uh, another great game, interconference matchup, Miami against LSU. Yeah, really interesting fun. matchup that's there. In that's in Arlington. It's at Cowboys Stadium in week one. Um, the Hurricanes 
finally have uniforms that don't have that weird metallic <laughs> plating on them because Adidas got rid of all of that on their uniforms. So maybe that will make them actually play better against Ed Orgeron and LSU. And, you know, they're just LSU always seems to find a way to win eight games and then screw up the other four. So it'll be an interesting matchup between an ACC and SEC team there. There's also a really big ACC conference game on Saturday. Florida State plays Virginia Tech. Oh, yeah. Two of, the, yeah. two of the three, I'd say, real contenders in that conference to upset Clemson, along with Miami, who's, who we've already mentioned. Uh, you've got uh, DeAndre Francois, who is starting for Florida State. You've got Josh Jackson coming back at quarterback for Virginia Tech. Obviously, you know, two great uh, – or I guess one great head coach in Justin Fuente. One that's either super overrated or super underrated, depending we'll f- on. We'll find out in a second. To, yeah. uh, that's an interesting matchup to happen so early on in the season, simply because that could realistically be the ACC championship game. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's a huge game for Willie Taggart. Yeah. You know, he it, Florida State fell off so much last year. Jimbo Fisher picked up and left for $75 million that Texas A&M will pay him. Even if he leaves after one year and takes another job, which is guaranteed amazing. money, and he guaranteed and money. Fisher has no buyout, none, none zero whatsoever. dollars to walk away. But you know, so Taggart really needs to make a statement here. Um, Fuente has, has been on the cusp of having that program somewhere really, really special. This is, you know, outside of Clemson, which looks like an absolute juggernaut once again. Uh, the ACC is kind of up for grabs, and so if Fuente can can get off on the right track and get this first one under his belt, they could have a really great year for Virginia Tech. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so let's get to uh, let's get to some questions though as we start to wrap up this episode. Uh, Melissa, we have a couple questions on the Twitters. Let me pull that up really quickly, and a question on Facebook. Um, let's see here. First question: Who has a better performance on Saturday, Southern's football team? Or their marching band. 100% their marching band. I agree. Because even if Southern somehow won that game, the marching band would still probably outshine them. Probably. They're going to be legit. They're going to be so legit. And at least they're bringing them. The last time TCU hosted a team that had an incredible marching band, the band didn't even come. And obviously that's a financial issue for the university to try and get the band there. Uh, So I'm I'm excited to see Southern's marching band. Uh, Another question. Given Monday's deadspin report on Baylor, which if you haven't heard about this report yet, um, the Baylor leadership sent a representative into meetings uh, post all of the the rape scandal stuff. Sent a representative into meetings with sexual assault groups uh, and sexual assault victims who were talking about how they were going to respond to all of these things happening on campus. Um, and this person, uh, according to the Deadspin report worked with them to soften the language of their statements against the university, uh, worked to convince them or talk them out of doing some of the things that they were wanting to do in response to all of these tragedies, uh, and all the while was reporting back to the Baylor leadership some of the things that he was told in confidence in those spaces uh, by those victims of sexual assault and the, the supporters of those victims. Um, I, I don't know much more than uh, than what the Deadspin report mentioned at this point, um, so I don't really have a lot of context for all of that stuff. But this question says, asks, 
from a TCU perspective, does TCU have policies in place to make sure that nothing like this ever happens at TCU? And realistically, if you're any other university, well, I won't say any other, but if you're an upstanding university, you will have a Title IX office that has their crap together. And TCU, by all accounts, does, thankfully. Uh, it's probably one of the best Title IX uh, offices in the country. You know, and, and fortunately, TCU hasn't had anything anywhere close to this level that they've had to deal with from a Title IX perspective. There, there are a couple things that we know um, that, that Patterson has directly addressed, and, and he did some on his teleconference on Monday and then in a press conference on Tuesday. On Monday, he was asked about how do you keep your coaches and your staff from, you know, and it was more in the context of Ohio State than it was in the context of Baylor, but he kind of covered both, both subjects and that TCU does have a Title IX offense. Um, yeah. They do have an officer they report to. They do have regular interactions with that person. But then they also have a president in the university. They have the chancellor. They have all of these people who come into the athletics office on the first day of reporting every single day and look at the coaches and look at the players and tell everybody, if you cheat, you're fired, period. Yep. And Jer- Jeremiah Donati is in on that conversation, and, and Chancellor Boschini and all those guys are all on the same page, and it's, if you cheat, you're fired. Yep. Uh, the second thing, too, that, that he's done um, is that he talked about his new compliance director and his director of high school relations, Brett Lemoyne, yesterday. And um, I, can't, I cannot remember the name of the uh, compliance director. It's actually something, I think. But uh, and those two people are directly in charge of making sure that they do things the right way. Yeah. And they take that very, very seriously. And he said that one of the best things that he's ever done is put those two people in those positions. And, and the, the director of uh, uh, compliance, she was a former ambassador who became the president of the ambassador program. And so she has seen it from all levels and takes it very seriously and really works hand-in-hand with, with Gary Patterson and with the football coaching staff to make sure that they are above board, that they're following the letter of the law. And, and, you know, like Patterson said in the teleconference, that it's not just following the letter of the law, but also the spirit of the law. Yeah. You know, we talk about following the spirit of the law and not the letter. No, they are trying to do both. And, you know, who knows what goes on behind closed doors, but hearing how in, in such strong terms that he was saying – I, it's not me saying don't cheat. It's just coming above me and telling me I don't care how long you've been here. I don't care what good you've done for the program. We are not about this business. And the minute that you cross those lines, you're going to have to answer to us. And, and I think that, that he takes that very seriously as well. I agree. And it's just a, it's a nice, comforting thing to know if you're a TCU fan that all of that seems to be above board. For sure. For sure. Because realistically, there are so many universities that have to worry about that nowadays that it's nice to not have that on your plate. As a fan, you can fully invest and fully support knowing that if something happens, the school will handle it appropriately and the coaches will handle it appropriately. And it's it's a nice, it's a nice comforting thing. Um, So I want to end with a really interesting story that I just, I read about today that I think is hilarious. Did you know that there will be a student of a university who is the starting quarterback for his university's week one opponent this year. I do not. His name is Harris Roberts. He is a student at Clemson, and he is also Furman's starting quarterback. Here's how this works. So he's a redshirt senior for Furman, where he did his first three years of undergraduate work. He's an engineering major, but Furman doesn't have an engineering program. So what Furman does is they allow you to, f- to start as an engineering major at Furman and then finish your engineering career at another university. Wow. And their options for fin- it's you start your three years at Furman and then you have two years to complete it at another school. And those three schools are Clemson, Georgia Tech, 
or NC State. Wow. And so this is a kid who plays football for Furman, decided to finish out his engineering academic career at Clemson, but is still the Furman starting quarterback. And so he will be playing against Clemson in week one this week. So are we going to Even though see, he's enrolled at Clemson. Are we going to see something like we saw after the Alamo Bowl where he takes his Furman jersey off immediately after getting drubbed by Clemson to reveal a, a Clemson, Clemson jersey? jersey? He's a mole. He's, he's a mole. He's an insider. But I just think that's hysterical because there's like a very specific rule that allows him to do this. It's an NCAA bylaw that allows him to, to do this. It reads... It's amazing. Um, a student athlete may represent the certifying institution in intercollegiate athletics, even though at the time of competition, the student is enrolled in another institution in a cooperative educational or exchange program, provided the certifying institution considers the student to be regularly enrolled in a minimum full-time program of studies and... All work is placed on the student's transcript and accepted towards his or her undergraduate degree at the certifying institution. So he is a fully credentialed student at Clemson. It is all, all of his full-time hours are going to his undergraduate degree at Furman, which means he is eligible to play football for Furman. Wow. And he is starting at quarterback for the Furman Paladins against the Clemson Tigers on Sunday, or on Saturday. Well, all I have to say to that is I'm glad that everybody starting for TCU is enrolled at TCU. Yeah. And I'm more glad that we're playing football on Saturday. Heck yes. I just thought that was interesting. It's a great story. This has been the Frogs War podcast. We're going to end there tonight. Uh, if you have a moment, subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It does help boost our numbers. We love doing this for y'all. We would love to continue doing this for more people. Uh, so if you could leave us a review, that'll help us do that. Um, but other than that, I think it's just time for us to all mentally prepare for TCU to kick the crap out of Southern on Saturday morning. Let's do it. And so with that, this has been the Frogs War Podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett. Melissa Trebosser. Go, Go Frogs. Frogs.